Hey guys, Rob here. Just to let you know, uh, Prestige Podcast and now Kaiju FM, our, our network, have their own Patreon page. We are loving making these podcasts for you, and through your support, we'd love to make more, basically. Uh, so if you like what we do, you want to support what we do, please check us out at Kaiju FM, and if you click on the support link there, take you to our Patreon page. Also, while you're there, feel free to check out any other podcasts as part of the network. Now on the podcast. Prestige, all about films, filmmaking, and film theory. Each week we pick a film, we review it, we talk about it, we discuss some of the ideas and themes that it presents and throws up. And as always, we'll end with our recommendations of further reading, further watching, inspired by the film of the week. Before we kick off, uh, it's a little catch up on what else we've been watching. So it's been a while since our last record, we did the uh, review of the year, Sam. But what else has has you been watching over the festive period and the new year period? Yes, I sh- we should have. I- should have started by saying Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, well, yeah. Not, as, as I said before we started recording, another year closer to death. Um, <laughs> it, I would like to, I'd like to talk about this week something I saw over the Christmas period and mentioned briefly in our review of the year, but didn't have much time to talk about it. And it's the latest Star Wars film, Rogue One. Which I still haven't seen. Oh, right. Okay. Well, no, no spoilers. It's um, it's 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 a really interesting film because, as I believe I said, it's it's not a a retread of um, a New Hope like the last Star Wars film was, um, and it covers new ground. And it's interesting. Um, I've seen um, Ben Bailey Smith, who occasionally does things with films on Radio Five, has said. This week that he enjoyed it, but wouldn't take his daughters to see it, and he said it's very much a war film. And why would I inflict such trauma on young children? Um, which is interesting. I would uh, I wait wait until you've seen it to see what you think about it. Okay. But um, no, it's an interesting film. Okay. Well, worth, m- worth maybe we can do a, a a small batch episode once once I've finally around seeing it. Yeah. Have a little discussion around yeah, that. In, in 2019. Yes, well, when Matilda's old enough to, to be left alone, I'll see some films. Right. How about you? Uh, well, the, the one film that I actually saw after our last record, um, which actually probably would have made the top five list if I'd seen it in time, uh, is The Magnificent Seven. So it's a 2016 retread of the, uh, the classic starring Denzel Washington, Chris Pratt, um, Ethan Hawke, loads of other people. Um, and totally tells the same story of a group of uh, post mercenaries and reprobates who come together to defend a town against a evil oppressor. It is just very good. It's just a good good western. Um, it's a good kind of fun action film. It brings more of the sort of snarky jokes than classic westerns have. But Denzel carries it. Chris carries it. Um, everyone is very well cast in it, um, and it is. It's just very good, and in a, a, in a modern day in which most people make it out of movies alive, it's refreshing to see a film like Seven, where spoilers, not everyone makes it out alive. 
the very nature of these films means that some people, some of the seven, don't make it. Um, mm. And it was refreshing to see that in a film where you have been built up to care about a character for two hours, that the film has the, the sort of the audacity to actually kill that person. Um, so I, I enjoyed that. Hey, Royce. I was um, well. I haven't, haven't seen it, and I was. was it, I, I'm not sure I wanted to see it because I loved the original so much, and I wasn't sure how they deal with that. It's it's not the original, but it, I still certainly enjoyed it. Oh, good. Right. Well, I might I might check it out. I, I certainly would recommend it. This week, we are embarking on franchises with which you're very familiar and with which I'm certainly not. Um, although I've read the first four books in the series, I haven't seen any of the films, apart from the occasional five minutes of Christmas. Um, so, Rob, how about you introduce us to Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone? Did you ever make anything happen? Anything you couldn't explain? You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? Dear Mr. Potter, we are pleased to inform you that you have been accepted at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, or Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, as it was known in America for some unknown reason, is the first in the seven-part book series and the first in the eight-part film series telling the tales of Harry Potter, a young wizard attending Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, and the adventures he finds therein. The first film is mainly concerned with showing us the world, getting Harry Potter, who is an outsider of this world, accustomed to the world. You meet all the main sort of best friends, teachers, antagonists, and that kind of thing. Um, the the thrust of the story is to do with, and this isn't a spoiler for anyone. This isn't. It's a um, the Philosopher's Stone, which is the Nicholas Vermeil's tool for eternal life um, and the attempts to achieve and get this I won't go into too much more because I can step into um, sorry to say spoiler area but it is worth noting this film came out at probably the height of Potter mania so it certainly was it was a worldwide brand and a worldwide success story before the film even came out um, mm. the film which I should be talking to time, does do some work to introduce newbies to the world, but they are also well aware that most people who have seen this who have seen this film will have read the books. You, you can't talk about these films without talking about the books first. Yeah. So, Sam, now, now I think we'll get onto my enjoyment of these things, but obviously this is the first time you've seen this film, and you see, you've seen four books. In the past, in our pro conversations, you haven't been overly complimentary about the books. So I am intrigued to know that now you finally sit and watch the film, your opinion. First thing I would say, we'll get into spoilers fairly quickly. I was speaking to someone over Christmas who had enjoyed listening to our podcast, um, but he tended to focus on podcasts about films that he'd seen. So it, it tends tends to be the case that if, if you've seen a film and you liked it, then you're going to listen to us talk about it. So there's there's really no point in saying... Um, giving a spoiler warning at the start because I'm sure if anyone's listening to this then they will know they will have seen the film yes but there you go I, I enjoyed it actually okay I 
have not been overly complimentary about the books in the past, as you said. Um, that's not to do with J.K. Rowling's writing. Rowling? 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 Whatever. Rowling. Rowling. Right. Her, her writing. Um, because I very much enjoyed the Cormoran Strike books. And the Rob Gabraith books that quickly became clear were written by her. Um, it's partly just to do with the fact that I have particularly um, resonant emotional ties to certain predecessors of the Harry Potter books. Um, so things like Dinah Wynne Jones's writing in the 90s trod much of the same ground as this. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that as a child and it, when people when there was this explosion about how amazing they were and how original they were I just kept thinking well they're not original at all and other people were doing it and other people were were writing stories that that so basically what you're saying so, is you, you were a literary hipster in that you you were into stuff before it was cool and now it got popular you were like no I'm not involved well yeah no <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, it, partly. No, I, so, so I had a certain amount of, of mixed feelings about the books. Fair um, and I think, I think my initial, um, so my initial emotional reaction was not a hipster one, it was a genuine emotional one. And then after that, maybe there was a little bit of a hipster about being the person who quote unquote did not like Harry Potter. Yes, yes. So you you, you are you are um, you are accurate. I, I, I can understand that. I think at a certain point with, with all of our sort of pop pop culture leanings, we always find a bit of a hill to die on, and you kind of can't change it from there. Uh, when you, once you said you don't like this, like me in the Batman films, um, it becomes a thing about you. And yes. uh, we, we, we're all guilty of being occasionally a bit stubborn about our uh, opinions. And I think it's also noting that, I mean, Sam and I are in our mid-30s, our early to mid-30s currently. So I think when the first book was released, I was 15 and Sam would have been 14. Mm. Which puts us a little bit probably beyond the normal reach of this, of this demographic for these books. Not entirely out of yes. but we, we, were probably, we were probably 18, 19 when the big explosion of it happened. Yeah. Um, which puts us a little bit out of that uh, the golden zone of people who are going to like these these things. Mm. I don't think it's a surprise from the way I'm talking that I'm a big fan of the books, um, and I think sometimes that buys the films a bit of grace because mm. I would I would say that probably this isn't an amazing film in terms of narrative, in terms of acting, in terms of coherence. I think it relies on a lot of people knowing some of the stuff from the books and general sort of zeitgeistness of people knowing about Harry Potter. Mm. I think that we'll get into down the line about the films and the series where I think it does get very good. But I do think the first one can be a bit, I don't know, a bit nothingness. But I think that's part of what they're trying to do and get into that sort of, in maybe the second half of the uh, podcast, when we start talking about a theme. Hmm. I did. I mean, I. I've said I, I enjoyed the film. I did did enjoy the film. I enjoyed the film in spite of several things that were evidently wrong with it, as you've just said. But kind of 
for a film that was setting up a franchise, setting up a narrative arc, and was a necessarily had protagonists that were all eleven year old children, it was it was as good as it could have possibly been. Mm. I think. I think that I mean a lot of flack has been thrown at the three main actors, so Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Uh, it's not been very good, shall we say, especially in the early films. Mm. Um, and I think that there's, there's a, a element of truth to that. They probably aren't the best actors in the film. But, A, they are very new. I mean, kid actors, convincing actors are few and far between. Also, they are sharing the stage with possibly the best actors Britain has to offer. Yeah. You throw yeah. a 11-year-old in a scene with Alan Rickman. You know what? Alan Rickman's going to do pretty well in coming out as the better actor in that scene. Yeah. Um, I, th- there is a comparison that is made on on those three actors. I think that sometimes it's unfair, um, given who they are up against. It's n- it's not fair, then that the film is supposedly carried by these three actors who are children. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's it's not it's not fair, but that that's the way it is. Oh yes. Um, it's it's something that I mean very quickly they they got into it and they they sort of spaced out the films we'll we'll get onto this when we talk about later in the franchise but there were certain bits of spacing that were maybe done for narrative reasons but maybe also a sec- a byproduct of that was it allowed the kids to grow up a bit mm. so you weren't they weren't taking a film every year yeah. Um, what? But yeah, I as as I said, I I enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's a fairly straightforward story, and sometimes the actors are overshone. Um, I I think actually slightly counter to what you just said, I kind of preferred the scenes with Richard Griffiths and Daniel Radcliffe or uh, Alan Rickman and Rupert Grint, for example, to the scenes when it was just the children on their own. Because then you really noticed, and there's a kind, there's a certain amount of of license where you think, well, they're just, they're just kids, and it's another great actor. Of course, they're going to be overshadowed. Right. So it it was only it was only the scenes with the three protagonists alone when I thought actually this doesn't hold water. I I, I see what you're saying. I can see what you're saying there. Well, I think I think that leads us nicely into. What we what we kind of both of us picked up on this on this film is the idea of introductions. Mm. Now, obviously, on a sort of very sort of metatextual level, this is the first film, so we are we are it's, it's, it's a launch of a franchise. And unlike most of the other films we've covered so far in this season, this was obviously designed as a franchise from day one. Everything yes. I think, looking back at the list we've got here, the list of our last shows, um, apart from the Matrix. I think was designed as a, a three, but the first one exists by itself if they hadn't done very well. Everything else mm. on this list was designed as a, a film that did well and got sequels, whereas this yes. from day one was intended to be a a series. The books were written as a seven part series, and the um, the films were going to follow that, or that had been eight. But I think the film does some interesting things in how it presents introductions to this world. Um, and there's two two moments I'd like to kind of talk about, and then I'll throw it back to Sam to add his to it. And the first is almost the very first scene. The very first scene 
is the scene in which Harry Potter is left at his uncle and aunt's house. He's a baby having survived an attack from Voldemort. And the three people who turn up are Dumbledore, Dumbledore, McGonagall and Hagrid. And I think this scene does great work to introduce us to the idea of magic and the idea of this magic. Because the three characters you have in the order you see them is Dumbledore, McGonagall, Hagrid. So Dumbledore, when you first appear him, he is as close to the Merlin archetype as you can imagine. The old, mm. big white beard, flowing robes, hat. He's very in that world. And then you've got McGonagall who turns up and she is very clearly a witch. She's clearly, you know, in the witch's hat and the robes. and It's all very traditional, he says in inverted commas, witch of wizardry. It's all very in that kind of normal archetype of, you know, the worst witch. All the things we've been raised to know about the magic world. The next person we meet is Hagrid. Hagrid turns up on a flying motorcycle wearing leathers and is a half-giant. He is so far beyond the world of what we normally expect from a magic world, in the, in this traditional witchcraft and wizardry world. But because we've got there via the other two, if we'd just gone in with Hagrid, you wouldn't have bought into the world. But because you've gone via um, Dumbledore McGonagall to Hagrid, you're already bought into this world, and then they can go, actually, you know, this is magic. Of course it's magic, which is wizard. But also, flying motorbikes, giants. Yeah. You know, it's... The world building, and this is the one thing that I think Rowling does very well, especially in the books and the film, is this idea of the world, but the little bits here and there that build a world out beyond the uh, story. And this scene is a great intro to that, um, to this kind of slightly different uh, magical world. The second scene I want to, um, it's literally just a shot. Um, but I think it's a, it's a theme you see in the film is as the kids arrive at Hogwarts with this lovely panning shot from them in the water goes up and you see Hogwarts above them pans up them. Have you ever if you ever watch a film and you see a panning shot where it pans up something, that is an introduction shot. Mm. That's how as a as a filmic language we introduce somebody to you. It's they pan up them. Sometimes it's the reintroduction. So, talking of uh, Sam's favourite film, She's All That, there's a scene in which uh, Lenny Boggs gets made over and she comes down the stairs and the camera pans up her. Because this is, the, this, is the, this is the real introduction of Lenny Boggs. And that's something you see time and time again in films. There's this filmic language of the slow pan up to whatever you're looking at is us introducing it. And you will see, if you watch this film again with that in your hand, you'll see that shot time and time again you pan up Diane Alligator you pan up Gringotts you pan up all these people you pan up everything it's always these pans up to introduce us to this world there is a really interesting link there with the fourth film in this series and I'm not going to mention what it is but there is a a panning shot that mirrors that mm. um, but we, we will we will talk about that it's really interesting I hadn't noticed that. And because of, but with this film, you've got like Harry is Harry is being introduced to this world. The other, the other two protagonists we have, Ron knows his world and Hermione clearly studied this world. Whereas we are seeing a lot of these things through Harry's eyes, so he is being introduced to this as we are at the same time. Yeah. And that, 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 that shot, that, that panel, is the idea behind it is it's a feeling of wonder, of awe, of we as you look up at an object, and that's what they're trying to convey with that camera move. Yeah. 
That that's really interesting that you think you you are being introduced to this world, but at the same time Harry is. So Harry is presented as an outsider, mm. and that that's something that, that's really interesting about this film. Um, and as I said before, it's not something original to Rowling, but it's it's a really it's an innovative way that she that she's done it that he he is presented as someone whom everybody knows everybody knows him everybody knows about him um and when he goes into i forget the name of it but it's a it's a bar attached to diagon alley mm. what am i thinking of uh where, where three, three room six yes so when he goes in there for the first time people come up to him and say oh it's harry potter so everyone knows him and he doesn't know anyone else. So not only do you have the audience being introduced to this wizarding world in the same way that Harry is, you have this kind of experience of alienation because it's it's weird the feeling that everyone that, that other people know you mm. and, and you, you might have got a similar feeling uh, for example a family get together where someone you don't know or someone you don't recognise knows you from a baby photograph and says, oh, I know who you are. Yes. It's the same, it's the same sort of thing here. So you get this, and it's not just this film, it's, it's other films as well, but it's, it's strongest in this film, which is an introduction to the series. Yeah, I think that's, and that's if you want to look at this slightly beyond the narrative itself um, and what the film's doing in terms of the franchise it's in, it is interesting that on this, we do touch on a lot of the traditional places in this film. So we see, you know, we see his house, we see Hogwarts, we see Three Broomsticks, we see Gringotts, we see all these places that come back in the second and third and fourth films. And I'll touch on those as we go through them. I'm trying not to be spoiled because I know Sam has only seen the first four, so I'm not going to um, talk about too much. But like you see that a lot is being set up in this film comes back in down the line and part of that is down to uh, Jacob Rowling's obsessive planning I believe she had plans for everything forever um, mm. and that, that, that you can start to see that here and things coming in but it's also worth noting that I think that as you say that there's that idea that everyone knows him so he doesn't need instructions and that there's, there's a, mm. a narrative trick there that given Harry Potter's history um, whether he knows it or not, that is his pass into things. He, he knows he, he he can get into places, he can get past doors, he can do these things because he's Harry Potter. Yeah, you know, the, a, a film about a, a plucky young student going to Hogwarts and getting involved in, in, in wouldn't work as well because it didn't have, I suppose the the past, the Clark Blanche that he's been given at times, that it wouldn't work. So uh, it, it, he's. The way they introduce Harry Potter as this kind of golden child, chosen one is the word they use, is a very clever meta-textual trick um, to mm. push the narrative along. And that's why this is... I mean, you mentioned The Worst Witch, which I've also got written down, but The Worst Witch, I mean, Jill Murphy's written the books very well for children and they transfer to the TV world, but that is just about about someone getting up to mischief in a boarding school that also happens to be to do with witchcraft and wizardry. Mm. And you're right, there's something... There's a reason that this resonates more than something like The Worst Witch. Yes. Because it is about more than going up to going to school and getting up to mischief. This is about... 
going to school and at the same time having to grow up in a completely different way, in a way that you don't fully understand. Mm. And I mean, I don't fully understand because I haven't, I haven't seen to the end, end yet, but you've said, I mean, you will understand, Harry will understand. But at the moment, right at the beginning, Harry is having to grow up, having to experience things that he doesn't understand why he has to do them. Yes. He doesn't understand what's happening to him. And that's a, that's a brilliant metaphor there. I, very much, I, think, I think that's where that's you sort of move into things we'll talk about in, in sort of other episodes. Um, but yeah, there's the, the, the you know if you want to take this as, as a um, and another level of the film, the magic and the introduction to magic is uh, on one level the introduction to adulthood and teenageness and all that kind of thing that comes with these kind of films that span a teenage life. Mm. Um, so Sam, do you have some recommendations for us? I do. Um, one is thematic. One, I mean, it, it's a similarly flawed film because it's um, it involves child actors up against incredible acting talent, um, and it's something that I wish they'd made more of um, because the early films in the, in the series have promise. And it's the two thousand and five film, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm. Um. And it's so it's not only similar from that perspective of child actors and acting talent, but also it's about adventure and growing up in a world that you don't understand and all sorts of magical things happening. So it's and and it's an enjoyable film. It's another one that I saw again over Christmas and remembered how how much it was. It was not a terrible film. Um. My second recommendation is uh, I have talked a lot about music in the past on these podcasts and I think it would be remiss to go through at least, well, certainly the first two films, maybe even this film, without mentioning John Williams. And so my second recommendation is a link to quite early film of his, but a film that many people have seen and loved and if you haven't then go and see it because it's well worth seeing it's 1977's Close Encounters of the Third Kind very good I haven't seen that one in a long time I really should check it out again sometime soon mm. my recommendations I kind of went for one that was a similar thematic thing and one that was a, a, a link to one of the creatives behind this so the first film was directed by Chris Columbus who directed some great films uh, Home Alone, um, and things like that over the years. But the one I wanted to highlight, which came out, I think, about eight years before Harry Potter and the um, Philosopher's Stone, and that is the Robin Williams starring Mrs. Doubtfire. I've watched this films more times than I care to think about. Um, it's a tale of a husband who loses custody of his kids, and to make up for it, invents a female persona, Mrs. Doubtfire, and becomes the kid's nanny. In many ways quite a creepy film but Robin Williams and Sally Field who are the two the two parents really sell it it allows Robin Williams a chance to do his zany but also bring it back in in a really heartfelt way it's one of those films that I watched a lot when I was younger and probably haven't seen now in 15 years but uh, I saw it on the list like, you know what yeah that's a good film that, that, that deserves a um, 
a, uh, a recommendation. It also has Pierce Brosnan as a very interesting part in the film. Uh, the film does doesn't go for the easy solution at the end of the film. I think that's very uh, very worthwhile, very honourable. Mm. My second choice, I went with the idea of introductions and the idea of introducing people to a world, to a franchise, to an ongoing story with a rich history. And so I went to the film from the very same year as our current film, and that is Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Very first film in the Tolkien trilogy from Peter Jackson. It, while it didn't have a seven part like the um, like Harry Potter, it was a three part series. And this film does the work of introducing us to all the main players. It does the work of doing of introducing us to the bad guys, the world, the bigger history. It also has the same problem of kind of does not really having too much of a solution. The film, the film exists definitely as part of a um, of, as a franchise, and we don't dive too much into getting a whole narrative resolution in this first film but it still serves that same thing of the panning shots the introduction of the people the outsiders being introduced into this inner circle and all that kind of thing does all the same work that uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone does Uh, and it's a great film so that's Lord of the Rings The Fellowship of the Ring from 2001 and you have a link to this film we should mention for for a a, a brief period of my life I did work over New Zealand for um, Potter Post which is Peter Jackson's Edimcity um, I, I managed to work for Peter Jackson between Lord of the Rings and Hell Hobbit, so I didn't actually do any either of those films. Uh, but I did work for that same company, and it was post the success of Lord of the Rings, and there were just props everywhere, just like swords and shields and urukai, and it was it was, it was great. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, some time in my life working over there. Good. So it's obvious that next week is going to be part two of episode uh, three. Yes. So we're going to be looking at Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets the second in the eight-part franchise of Harry Potter. Till then, you can find me on Twitter, at Rob Kaiju. You can find me at Life underscore Academic. And you can find both of us at Prestige Podcast. Um, And we will see you guys back here next week. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr! Arg.